you had a month to eat all of the food that you would ever taste, how would you spend that month? If you knew that in two weeks you were never going to hear again, what would you listen to? And if you had a week to see all that you would ever see, what would you do? What would you look at? What would you watch? What would you take in with your eyes? And what if I told you that the certainty of losing our sight, our hearing, our sense of taste, is a reality for all of us at some point or another to varying degrees. But we don't often think about that. We don't often think about, until we get to the point of it having happened, that we have limitations in our ability to see or hear or taste or run or all of these other sorts of things. And it's possible for us, in response to that, to say, well, I just, I, I don't know when that's going to happen. I don't know how that's going to affect me. So I'm just not going to do anything. And yet the passage that we're going to look at tonight urges a different response. Knowing that life is short, knowing that limitations are almost certain for all of us at some point, make the most of your time. Work harder because you know that. So let's look at chapter 11 and then into chapter 12. The first verse there might be a little bit puzzling. We might have in our minds the idea of uh, you know, going out and feeding the ducks. You've got a loaf of bread. I used to do this with my great uncle at his pond down in Georgia. He'd take a loaf of you know, three-day-old bread and we'd throw it out on the pond and the ducks would come and eat the bread. You think that that is what Solomon has in mind or if not, what do you think he has in mind? What's that? Okay. But why do you think he says on the surface of the waters? Think about where he's writing this from and, and, and why he might have used that imagery. The Israelites were involved in trade, right? So they would have produced grain. And if you sold that grain in trade somewhere else, what would happen if you send it out on the surface of the water in a ship? Hopefully, a return on your investment is going to come back to you. But there's uncertainty and there's risk involved with that, right? What, what are the threats to a ship on the sea? Maybe some of the kids can answer this for us. Yeah? Okay, it could sink. That's probably the most significant one. What else? Yes. Okay. What else? Okay, so maybe the ship gets there and you get there, but all your stuff doesn't, okay? And so there's a risk of loss. So again, there's this, this sort of this tension. If I send it out, I might lose it. But if I don't send it out, it's not doing me any good, right? Verse 2, divide your portion to seven or even to eight. You're probably familiar with the story about the... Uh, you know, we have this expression, don't put all your eggs in one basket, and perhaps it's associated with the story of the, 
the girl that's going to market with all the eggs in a basket on her head, and she sort of dreams up all the things she's going to do. She's going to sell the eggs, and then she's going to get this, and then she's going to get this, and then she's going to become rich, and then she drops the basket of eggs. So all her plans come to nothing. Why would Solomon say to divide your portion to seven or eight? Yeah. Good, good. So um, this is why sometimes when it comes to like investing in the stock market or whatever, and not trying to speak beyond my knowledge, you will buy into more than one segment, more than one company, because one might do poorly and another might do well, and generally it will balance out. But if we sort of have it all in one place, then it can be a problem. And it says, you do not know what misfortune may occur. I think there's an implication. Misfortune is going to occur at some point, but are you prepared for it? Verse 3, if the clouds are full, they pour out rain upon the earth. Whether a tree falls toward the south or toward the north, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. This imagery is interesting because we don't control either of those two things. We don't control the rain. We don't control the wind. And so there's an extent to which we can't predict what's going to happen in the future. And so that uncertainty might make us hesitant. But he says in verse 4, He who watches the wind will not sow, and he who looks at the clouds will not reap. So there's this paradox. I can't control this, but I want to know what's going to happen with it. But if I spend all my time checking the weather and I never actually go out and do the work outside, what happens? The work doesn't get done. And so Solomon urges us to, in the face of this uncertainty, to take action rather than to sit idly by. Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. He reminds us that this is in the hand of God, and he reminds us that we should not think that we're going to be able to fully comprehend it. Because here are two things that we observe on a regular basis in our lives. We don't know how they work. Ask a scientist to explain the wind to you. They have an explanation, but it, it's kind of like the explanation of gravity. Well, what's gravity? It's an invisible force that holds things to the surface of bodies in space. Well, why, why do we have gravity? How does it work? It just does. We don't have answers for all of the mysteries of life, and so our lack of knowledge and our uncertainty about the future are supposed to drive us to trust in God as we work. We see this again in verse 6. How many of you are going to plant a garden this summer, maybe? Or you've planted one in the past? Okay? If you have an old packet of seeds, do you put in one of the seeds out of the packet or you just dump the whole thing in sometimes? Why? What's your goal? Yeah, you're hoping at least one comes up, right? Maybe, maybe a few more than that. Uh, if I say, well, I don't know if any of the seeds will sprout, so the packet's going to sit on my shelf, what do I know for sure? None of them are going to come up. And if I say, well, 
I know it's getting on toward middle of June, and I know normally it takes 93 days for this to come to a time of harvest, but I'm just going to keep putting it off. It's going to be winter before your plants are ready and you're not going to get any fruit from them. So Solomon is saying, even though we might be tempted to just sort of sit there, paralyzed by fear, because we don't know the future and we don't control the future, it should instead spur us on to action. He says in verse 7, The light is pleasant, it's good for the eyes to see the sun. If a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all and remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything that is to come and will be is kind of supplied in the text. It's almost just like there's a pause and then he says, futility, breath, this word that we've seen all throughout the text. So, is it pleasant to see a sunny day? Yeah. And there's a sense of, so don't view that as a bad thing, rejoice in it. But even as you see the sun, remember there's going to be a lot of days in which it's cloudy and raining and dark outside. So don't be surprised by it. See the whole scope of it. Realize that everything that is to come is this, this thing that you can't seize, that you can't control, that you can't govern. God rules over all of it. God knows what's coming, so you have to trust Him and act. And then verse 9 and 10 lead into, I think, Solomon's main admonition in connection with this uncertainty about the future. Or perhaps there are many uncertain things about the future, but there are some things that are more certain than others. Rejoice during your childhood, be pleasant, let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood. Follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes, yet know that God will bring you to judgment for these things. Remove grief and anger from your heart and put away pain from your body because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. So he has these balancing statements where he lays out, he says, rejoice that you're young and that you have energy. As we grow older, we become more and more envious of that, right? But we watch kids running around seemingly boundless, unlimited energy. And God says that's a good gift and that it should be enjoyed. And that sometimes perhaps there's a tendency for us to try to, I don't know, to stamp out the joy of childhood. We have to discipline our children to teach them what it means to... um, follow boundaries and follow God and proper authorities and all those sorts of things. But, but I think that we should also not do it in such a way that we uh, sort of crush their wonder and amazement and their energy about so many things. And that's a challenge as parents because sometimes it's exhausting. They're, they're so excited about this. They don't want to go to sleep. They have all these things going on and we're just sort of overwhelmed. We're like, it's been a long week. But Solomon says, it's a good thing. But, yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. So there are boundaries. The thing that sets a boundary on that enjoyment, that expression of youth and energy and and interest and all of those sorts of things is, God's watching, so live as though God is watching. 
So, remove grief and anger and pain. Why? Because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. It's interesting that he says that because what he's going to say next is that those things are certain the further that we go down through life. So it's interesting that he says, enjoy, and it's kind of a puzzling statement that he says here, enjoy your childhood and your youth. Don't dwell in grief and anger and pain. I think part of the reason that he's saying that is because they are almost always certainties the further we go on through life. And perhaps there's more to that phrase, but I think that that's at least one of the points that Solomon is making. And then he comes to a phrase that is familiar, but I think sometimes, without seeing it in its context, we kind of miss the impact of it. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, when you will say, I have no delight in them. We might read this verse and we might immediately think, depending on where you are in life, those days are a few decades back, a number of decades back. Um, I don't know what he's talking about. The years come when you have no delight in them. Depending on your perspective, you might hear that verse differently. But I think the point that he's making is, there are many things in life that are uncertain. And so we have to make wise decisions and seek to maximize the opportunities that God gives us. We saw that at the beginning of chapter 11. We should enjoy our youth, but the thing that ties all that together, this uncertainty about the future, the enjoying of youth, and the using it well, is because there's a time limit on it. I said, what if you lost your sense of taste, of hearing, of sight? Verse 2 says, Before the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are darkened, and clouds return after the rain. In the day that the watchmen of the house tremble and mighty men stoop, the grinding ones stand idle because they are few, and those who look through windows grow dim. The doors on the street are shut as the sound of the grinding mill is low, and one will arise at the sound of the bird, and all the daughters of song will sing softly. Furthermore, men are afraid of a high place and of terrors on the road. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags himself along, and the caper berry is ineffective. For man goes to his eternal home while mourners go about in the street. What's he describing here? There's a lot of people, I think, with good reason, see Solomon as describing the realities of aging. The light is darkened. You lose strength in your muscles. Sometimes you lose teeth. Your hearing grows dull. You begin to get to a point where it's difficult for you to sleep through the night. There are fears, there, are, there is a, a lack of vigor in a variety of ways, and it ends in death. I say, Solomon, that's kind of a discouraging portrait to paint, but it's true. The four or five years before uh, our family came here, 
I spend a lot of time with people in retirement homes and in hospitals and in their homes when they could no longer go out. What Solomon is saying is true. We lose our earthly abilities and it is possible for us to come to the point of having lost them and to look back with regret and say, I have no delight in them. And part of the reason for that can be if we waste the strength and the opportunities of youth. There's two sides to this. And this is the, the encouragement of Scripture. If you've sinned, if you've wasted your life, you still live. Remember we saw, we saw that verse last week or the week before, a, a living dog is better than a dead lion, right? While there's life, there's hope. We know we use phrases like this. There are opportunities if we are five minutes from standing in God's presence or 50 years from standing in God's presence to serve Him. You can be the thief on the cross. You can be a child like Daniel who trusts God and lives for a long time serving Him. So don't hear this and say, well, the point that I'm at in life, what can I do about it? That's not the message that Solomon is saying, but there is a sense to which he's speaking to the children, to the youths, and he's saying, don't waste your life. How many of you have gone to drink the milk from the fridge and you realize it's not good anymore? Solomon is saying our abilities have an expiration date. There are many things that cry out for our attention. A number of them aren't bad. Nothing wrong with reading books, with understanding how things work, with play, with all of these sorts of things, but there comes a point at which we have to say, and the choices uh, are the choices that I am making are they the things that honor God or am I only living for what makes me, I think, happy right now without any regard for God? Because then we've forgotten what verse 9 says of chapter 11. God will bring you to judgment for all these things. We tend to swing to extremes. I'm going to do whatever I want because God said to enjoy the pleasure, but there's a boundary. Or I'm going to be so focused on the boundary over here that I never enjoy any of the good gifts that God has given. And the answer is, enjoy to the fullest the things that God has given you within the boundaries that He has established, recognizing that everything you have in life has an expiration date. So are you wasting your life? If you're wasting your life, how are you wasting your life? Sometimes we waste our lives because we accumulate things and we spend all our time moving those things around. Because our society says, if you have this thing, it will make you happy. It becomes a burden. Sometimes we waste our life pursuing knowledge or skills that have a very limited application of use. There are some skills that can be used in a lot of ways. If you know how to wire a light 
or work on a car, or whatever it might be. Those are skills that have applications in a lot of places, connection with church, at home, potentially at your work, all of those sorts of things. There are other skills that have a very limited scope of application. You have the top score in an arcade game? Great. What is that going to do for you in life? You're the best at whatever this particular thing might be. You have to come to realize, I'm still learning this lesson, you're not going to have the biggest, the best of something or the most of something or be the best well-known at something. And if you live for those kinds of things, your life is empty. There was um, a guy I saw something on, on Facebook and he was connected with one of the aquarium groups I used to be a part of. And it was something like, well, this was a great guy, and he did all these things for our hobby. But Solomon would remind us, along with verse 6, and now he's dead. What have you done with your life? There's nothing wrong with appreciating beauty. Plant flowers, paint your room, cut your grass, whatever, to make things around you have a sense of beauty and order and all those sorts of things. But, if your quest for that causes you to neglect things that are far more important, like I'm spending all my time doing this, but I don't really know God all that well. I'm spending all my time doing this, but things are falling apart with my family, or I'm spending all my time doing this, but um, I'm not taking the opportunities God gives me to serve Him in various ways. We cannot let the good things of life become more important than the eternal things that God wants us to keep in mind. Verses 6 through 8 say, Remember him before the silver cord is broken, the golden bowl is crushed, the pitcher by the well is shattered, and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Breath of breaths, all is fleeting. There's a variety of ways that we could see that phrase, but... when we think about the fact that we have, going back to the example from the beginning, in a month you have theoretically at least 90 meals. Depending on your age, it might be more like 120 or 150, or at least you wish it was. Um, that sounds like a lot. It's really not. How long is a year? 365 days. How many years do you have? Say that you have, let's say that you have 60 years because the math is easier. 300 and some days in a year. Let's call it 1,000 days in three years. 
What does that work out to? 6,000 days? 60,000? Okay. Math on the fly doesn't always go well. 60,000 is a ton of days, right? What about when it's 30,000? What about it when it's a thousand? What about when it's three? We go throughout the course of our lives and our lives keep counting down. I don't say that to discourage you. I just say that to help us be aware and think about it because we don't think about it. And if we thought about it, then we would do what Moses said in Psalm 90, which is to number our days and apply our hearts to wisdom. And that's part of what Solomon is trying to get us to do here. The future is uncertain, so don't just sit there and wait for stuff to happen. Plan for it in an uncertain and an unpredictable and a world full of mishaps and accidents and and things that can impact your life. If you are still in your youth, enjoy that. Don't, Don't go to the extreme of enjoying it in a way that's sinful. Don't go to the extreme of confining it in a way that neglects the good gifts of God. Wherever you are in the course of your life, live with an awareness that life is not forever. I have two thoughts cross my mind on a fairly regular basis. One is, what am I going to preach next? And the other is, I have a limited amount of time to preach whatever I'm going to preach. The same is true for whatever it is that God has called you to do. So, are you thinking about that? And is it affecting the way that you live? Solomon doesn't want us to look at this and say, we're going to get old and we're going to die, so woe is me. That's not his point here. His point here is to say, and he's going to drive at it in the passage that we look at next week, to fear God and obey Him. But he's saying some of that right now. Act as you plan for the future. Make the most of where you are and live recognizing the certainties of what is to come for everyone unless Jesus comes back first. Don't waste your life. This doesn't mean that we have to necessarily sit and read our Bibles all day or spend all day in prayer to the exclusion of everything else. But we should be spending some time in those things to the exclusion of everything else, right? It doesn't mean the error of the Thessalonians who said, well, let's quit our jobs and sit around and wait for Jesus to come back because Paul said, stop being lazy, get to work, don't make other people support you. But we should live with an eye to Jesus is coming back and it doesn't have to be like, 4,000 years from now, it could be today. As we think about these truths, they should drive us to depend on God. I don't know the future, but God does, so I'm going to simply obey Him. The spot in my life I am in has brackets on either side of it. It started at a specific point, It's going to end at a specific point. So what am I doing with it between those two points? And life as a whole, because of the curse of sin in this world, runs downhill. 
And what is easy at this point is this much harder here and here and here. Again, if you're here, God still wants to use your life. Don't waste this part of it. If you're here, God wants to use your life. Don't waste this part of it. This truth, too, ought to drive us to see God. I think of what it says in Romans 8. The whole creation groans, seeking the redemption of the body. Why? Because sin affects everything in our world. But that's supposed to make us look toward God and long for the day when He fixes what is broken. So, because you don't know the future, are you doing something or just waiting for things to happen? Because each period of our life has a specific span, are we making the most of that? And because our lives will come to an end, are we seeking to live in a way that pleases God until He calls us home or until Jesus comes back? I can't tell you if you have a month to taste, two weeks to hear, or a week to see. But I can tell you I don't know the future, but God does. God has given us life to use to its fullest. And what Hebrews 9 says, it is appointed to man once to die and after this comes judgment. So, make the most of your life. It's not yours really anyway, is it? You've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your body. Or as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, we have concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, that those who live would not live for themselves, but the one who died and rose again on their behalf. Or as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we make it our ambition to be pleasing to Him. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or anything else in life, do all to the glory of God. So, because you don't know the future, because it's uncertain, live to please God. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we waste our lives one moment at a time at many points. Sometimes it's through neglecting responsibilities that you have given to us as human beings, as fathers, mothers, children, um, workers, church members, whatever else it may be. Sometimes it's because we get caught up in the things that the world says are most important for us, getting stuff gaining power, being known by people. And we realize that the last thing we got is collecting dust in the corner and doesn't make us any happier than the ten things before it. We realize that the power that we think we have can quickly be taken away. 
We realize that the opinions of people change constantly, and it's your opinion that matters, not those around us. So Lord, help us not to be led astray by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, but to see that as a way of life that is opposed to and hateful to and destructive to rightly following you. Lord, help us to enjoy the gifts that you have given to us within the boundaries that you've established for us, recognizing that they come from you and they should point us back to you, that our lives are but a brief span and that we are stewards of them. You have given them to us. You can take them back as you wish. And what you require of us is that we are faithful. Lord, help us to be faithful, not to be like the foolish servant who said, I don't know what to do. I'm going to bury the, the talent. And he lost it. Not to think that because I don't have a job or I'm still in school or those sorts of things that my life is mine to do whatever I want with it. It's not. If we know you, we belong to you, and you have a claim on all of who we are. As we proceed in life, and we start to experience some of these things that Solomon talks about in chapter 12, those can start to weigh down our hearts. Lord, help them to drive us to you and to long for you and to serve you faithfully for as long as you have us here. And to remind those that are coming after us, make the most of your time because the days are evil, but God is great and he is accomplishing great things and you get to be a part of it. And so see that as a privilege, not, on, not, as, a, uh, not as God taking away from the things that are good that you want to do instead, but as an opportunity for you to share in something far bigger than all the things sometimes that we think are really important. God is building His church. God is accomplishing the span of history, driving toward a particular end in which He rescues His people, destroys evil, brings glory to Himself, and His people get to share in it. Lord, help us to see that we are part of that, and that is a far greater calling than many of the things that so often occupy our time. Lord, help us to look for opportunities to help one another follow you more faithfully on this path to eternity. Sometimes, Lord, churches fall apart, people go astray, because we don't care enough to know one another. We're too caught up in the things that we are doing in our own lives. Sometimes 
your word doesn't go forth to the people who are dying and going into eternity apart from you into eternal condemnation because we are too busy doing other things. Lord, we may be faithfully following you and for those who are doing that today, Lord, bless them, help them to continue to do that, but I think in this area all of us have some room to grow. Lord, help us to see that what Solomon said is not disconnected from what you said through Paul to the Colossians. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Help us to enjoy this life. Help us to anticipate our eternal life which we share and even now if we know you. Pray these things in Christ's name, amen.